Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always a great privilege to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And this week is a very special week because tomorrow night is the beautiful festival of Shavuos, the festival of celebrating the giving of the Torah. And of course the Torah is the center of the Jewish people. The Torah defines the Jewish people. The Torah is the covenant between the Jewish people and God. And the Torah is what defines us as a nation. And so it's so important that we talk a little bit about the relevance of Shavuos and the importance of this festival and how it should impact on our lives. So let's start out with, well, of course, you know, just to mention that we've been counting the Omer. So all the way from Pesach up until Shavuos, we count every day from second day Pesach. Um, and it's called the counting of the Omer because we had a mitzvah at the times of the temple that we brought the Omer offering, which was an offering of barley on the second day of Pesach. And from then on, it was a mitzvah to count each day until the 49th day. And then um, after counting 49 days, the next day, the 50th day, was the day when the Jewish people stood at Mount Sinai and received the Torah from God. So today is day 48. We've been counting all the way up to today. Tomorrow is 49. And then we, tomorrow evening, Thursday night, at sunset, is the awesome and powerful 50th day, the day of the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. There's a very interesting midrash that is brought in the Mechilta in Parshas Yisroi that tells us something fascinating about the giving of the Torah by God. Um, so I want to discuss that midrash and to have two different perspectives and understandings of that midrash. And uh, then we'll look at Shavuos and some customs of Shavuos and some important ideas relating to our celebration, celebrating the festival. So the midrash tells us that before God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, so God approached other nations and um, God approached the, uh, the the Midrash says the nation of Yishmoel, the nation of Moab, and the nation of Asaph. Those were three major um, groupings of people in the world. And when God um, approached those nations and said, "Would you receive my Torah?" So the Midrash says the nation of Yishmoel says, "What is in your Torah?" And God said, "Lord, signoif, do not steal." And the nation of Ishmael said, well, if that's the case, we cannot accept it because we cannot commit ourselves a life um, without theft. As the Pasuk in the Torah says that the hand of Ishmael was Yad Kolbo, was everywhere. And therefore, Ishmael couldn't go ahead and, and accept the Torah. And God said to the Midianites, um, would you accept the Torah? And the nation of Midian said, what's in? God said, Sinof do not commit adultery, and the foundations of Moab were sexual immorality. They were the children of uh, Lot and his daughter, 
And therefore they couldn't accept the Torah on such grounds. And finally the Midrash says God said to Asaph, to the people of Asaph, accept the Torah. And the, they said what is in it. And God said, do not murder. And they, the blessing to Asaph from Yaakov was, you'll live by the sword. And they couldn't accept the Torah on such grounds. So the question is, um, then God offers the Torah to B'nai Yisrael, to the Jewish people. And um, the Jewish people said, Nasev Nishma, we will do, and then we will understand. In other words, the Jewish people accepted the Torah immediately without any doubt. Um, so what's the difference? Let's try and understand and analyze this. You know, it like makes one's understanding of the of God's choosing the Jewish people in a bit of a different way, you know. Imagine there's somebody who um, who was asked by somebody else on a date and they found out later that they were the fourth person to be asked. The other three refused and then they were the fourth. So it kind of changes their perspective in terms of, you know, how serious this person is about them. So it might be the same with the Torah, wouldn't it be? You know, we were only asked fourth and we were the only ones who agreed. So that's why we got the Torah. But let's try and understand it from a, a deeper point of view. And that is that um, we see the other nations asked God what is in it. And since they asked the question, so God gave them an answer and answered them something which would be difficult for them, that would really go against the grain of their nature and of their perspective. Um, but the Jewish people, they didn't ask the question. They didn't ask what's in it, and therefore they didn't get the answer. Um, you know, sometimes we see when things happen to us, so often we ask, why is this happening? Why is God doing this to me? Why is, you know, why does it have to be this way? And um, they once asked a famous rabbi, a very famous rabbi, um, how did you um, get blessed with a long life? And he said, because throughout my life I accepted what Hashem sent me, I did my best, of course, we do our ishtadlus, but I accepted that God knows what he's doing at Emunah, that whatever's happening to me is for my ultimate good. Um, and sometimes people ask, why, why, why? So then Hashem brings them to Shemayim and shows them why, gives them the perspective from the broader perspective from the eternal spiritual worlds. So I didn't ask the question, so Hashem didn't bring me, didn't have to take me to Shemayim to give me the answers. So, you know, that, that's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek over there, but it's a bit of an oversimplification but Kaisho didn't ask. They didn't ask. They understood the the uh, context of which the great gift of Torah was offered to them. You know, sometimes when you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer. Uh, there was a, a group that's quite popular today in the world that, you know, certainly one of our greatest um, attractions here in South Africa is safaris, is people coming to the bush and having a great experience in the bush. And there are many Jewish organizations that take advantage of this and they bring groups of students and they have a very inspiring time. They have shirim and they have game drives in the bush. So there's one such group that uh, came to the bush and they were sitting on the vehicle about to go out in, on a drive. And uh, one of the students said to the game ranger, um, what time are we going to see the lions? So the game ranger stopped the vehicle, turned around, and just shook his head, you know, like, you're in the bush, if you've got the muzzle to see good animals, so that's, it's not scheduled. Um, you know, you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer. Clayson didn't ask the question at all. 
Um, and therefore, they weren't told about something that would be difficult for them to to deal with. You know, like uh, you can pick what it is that the Jewish people would struggle with. You know, you can't argue. The Torah says you can't argue, you know. Or the Torah says you you can't eat, you know. So whatever it is, that would be hard for Klai Yisrael. But we didn't ask the question. But the question is, why didn't we ask the question? We didn't ask the question because we understand we understood that if God is giving his laws, his commandments, God's purpose for humankind, so then there's no need to ask any questions. So then we'll accept what God is giving us. Because if it's coming for God, so then it is a great privilege and a great honor, and it's for our good. It is absolutely for our good. No questions asked. So that's why Klaeshel didn't ask the question as opposed to the other nations of the world asking, Klausel appreciated the context of that gift from Hashem. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing why the Jewish people didn't ask what's in the Torah as opposed to the nations of the world that does ask because the Jewish people understood the value of the gift that they were receiving. When you receive a gift, so it's not appropriate to ask what's in it. You know, somebody gives you a box, a gift to you, and you, you know, even the most forward people would not do that. For example, you know, Israelis, we love them, Hashem should bless them. And they're quite forward people, a little bit different to uh, South Africans culturally. Have you ever been um, to a dinner with Israelis? <laughs> I remember uh, it's, it's happened to me that uh, quite a common thing. You know, you're sitting around the table, you hardly know the people, and they say, um, how much do you earn? You like almost uh, drop your knife and fork on the plate. Like, I've just met this person. I don't even know them at all, and they asking me how much, you know. But for Israelis, that's like a common thing. That's not strange or or peculiar. But even the Israeli, who's quite forward, wouldn't ask. You give them a gift, they wouldn't say, "What is it? What what's the gift?" Um, that would be rude. That would be inappropriate. And so Klai Yisrael had that perspective. They understood that receiving the Torah from God, receiving this gift, and that's why it's called Matan Torah, the gift of the Torah. So that is a great opportunity, it's a great privilege, it's a great honor. It's only for our good if it comes from the creator of the universe. And therefore, no questions asked. Nishma, we will do, and then we'll understand, we'll accept the Torah entirely, and we'll receive this gift with appreciation, with gratitude, and with a, a, a perspective that it's a great privilege to be receiving this gift. So that's one answer to the understanding of this Midrash of why the nations of the world asked and got the answer that they didn't want to get and therefore rejected the Torah as opposed to the Jewish people didn't ask at all. Another perspective could be the following. Um, we have in the Jewish world, in the religious world, you know, the the uh, what we call the Parsha of Shiduchim. When, when children reach an age where they're ready to look for a partner, a life partner, a spouse, so they enter into... Shiduchim, and the Shiduchim system is a wonderful system because it enables the families to um, check out a person and get a, a basic 
idea of that individual, of the value system of that individual, of the goals of that individual. And then, you know, when, the, when it's in the ballpark, then um, the couple can meet each other. And then it's up to them, of course, you know, if, if they like each other and if there's an attraction and if there's potential, if there's a chemistry. So then um, they can, you know, keep meeting and take it to the next level. But it, uh, what it does is that it, it cuts out a lot of heartache and pain, you know, um, in the general world when couples meet. So they have a good time. They, you know, usually under the influence of alcohol or some other substances and then by the time they've already got emotionally involved, now they start looking at the fundamentals. Does this person have a good character? Does this person have similar goals to me? Is it, are they compatible to me in terms of getting, you know, having a long-term relationship, getting married? So it, it uh, is a much safer system. It's a much cleaner system. And it's a system that prevents a lot of suffering and pain and heartache. Um, and so let's imagine like this. There, there's a family that is entered into the partial Shidduchim and they have wonderful daughters, two outstanding daughters, and uh, the daughters are intelligent and they are capable and they're kind people, they've got good character traits, they uh, are beautiful, everything that, that is required. And a Shadchan phones and speaks to the father, father of one of the girls and says, you know, I have a great boy for you. He's just perfect, as wonderful and has as much of a superstar as your daughter is, so is this boy. And he has a wonderful character. He has very good character traits. He's a kind person. He's a calm person. He's a person who has Yerushalayim, who uh, has fear in Hashem and, and does the mitzvahs. He's somebody who has a parnosa, who has a, uh, is able to support himself and have an income or everything. All the boxes are ticked. He says, there's just only one issue. And that is that, um, the, the boy's father is an alcoholic. And, uh, so, you know, that's the only questionable issue, but otherwise everything else is in place. So, so the father of the, of the girl would say, okay, you know, sounds like a wonderful boy. Let, let him meet my daughter. And when he comes to meet the daughter, so he will most probably before they meet, take the boy aside and say, it's wonderful to meet you. And I've only heard amazing things about you. And, uh, I'm look forward for you to meet my daughter. There's just one thing that I request of you. And that is that as long as you have a relationship with my daughter, um, don't go near alcohol. Um, the Shadchan told me about your family and, you know, uh, it's very dangerous. And um, the condition of you meeting my daughter is that you stay away from alcohol. So the boy most probably would say, yes, of course, I understand. And I've seen how dangerous it is. And, and therefore, um, I, I don't go near the terrible um, drug of alcohol because I've seen how destructive it is, and all oh, wonderful, great. So it's a similar kind of thing over here. Well, maybe let's give another example as well. You know, let's let's say second daughter, the Shadokan phones and says, okay, you know, your, your second daughter is as outstanding as your first daughter, and I have a boy as outstanding as the other boy that I introduced your first daughter to. But the only issue over there, he, he ticks all the boxes, this boy. Um, it's just that he's... Uh, comes from a family that are a little bit violent and his father had a fight with a neighbor and he beat him up and sent him to hospital father was sent to jail you know like so the father again the boy comes to meet his daughter wonderful to meet you i've heard great things about you but uh if i can just uh there's just one condition of you going out with my daughter and that is that you go to an anger management class once a month just to deal with anger you know that kind of thing so it's a similar thing with the torah that our shem 
The, the Torah is Hashem's princess. The Torah is Hashem's daughter. The Torah is Hashem's most precious, most precious valuable asset. And Hashem, when He offers this princess to others, so He says, you know, there's a bit of a background. You need to stay away from this, from, from the Ishmaelim, from, from theft or from the Midianim, from immorality and Yishmael from murder. And only then would it be appropriate for you to, to have a relationship with my daughter, with my precious daughter. And so that's what Hashem is saying to the nations of the world in this Midrash, that if you want the Holy Torah, so there are certain parameters, there are certain conditions, there are uh, certain circumstances that need to be taken care of in order for it to work, in order for it to be appropriate. Hashem says to Klai Yisrael, to you, that if you want the Torah, you have to be a Mamleches Kohanim V'goy Kadosh, a nation of priests, a holy nation. So what does that mean? Why does Hashem say it to Klai Yisrael? Because the background and the history, the ancestors of Klai Yisrael are, have lived in this way. So Hashem says, you can take the Torah as long as you follow in the ways of your people, of your ancestors. Um, so for example, you know, let's say the Shad Khan phones and says, you know, there's an outstanding boy and his, uh, his grandfather is Rav Chaim Kanievsky and his great grandfather is Stapligoy. You know, these holy, holy people. That's the family he comes from. So when this boy comes to the house, the father will say, you know, I'm so glad to meet you. And the, all I request of you is you just follow in the ways of your family and follow in the derech of your holy, illustrious grandfather and great grandfather. So that's what Hashem is saying to Klai Yisrael. That if you want to take the Torah, keep up that standard of your family and live a life of Mamleches Kohanim, a nation of priests, which means an elevated nation, a Goy Kadosh, a holy nation that does not get caught up and get lost in the material world and the pursuit of pleasures that are very overwhelming in this world. And the Torah is not, these Midrashim, the Torah would be a great mistake to think that the Torah is a history book and tells us about ancient events and the past. The Torah is a book of the present and the future. If something's in the Torah, it's in order to teach us a lesson now in our lives, which is relevant for our choices now and for our future. What's the biggest raya of that? Where do we get that from? We see that from Megillus Esther. We see Megillus Esther that we learn about the situation of the Jews in Persia and how Haman has risen to power and wants to wipe out the Jewish people. And we see what a, what a precarious situation they're in. And they're facing annihilation. The first Holocaust is about to take place. And Mordechai and Esther and their efforts and their attempts and the incredible events that took place at that time over 2000 years ago. Um, and the saving of the Jewish people by Hashem with miracles. So, but you know, what would be the perfect ever after of the story of Purim? So it would say in the Megillah that the child of Esther allowed for the Jews to rebuild the second base of Mikdash. That would be like the perfect ending, the perfect ever after. The, the Megillah doesn't end with that. The Megillah just ends with, if you'd like to see what happened afterwards, look at the, the chronicles of the people of Persia. That's what it says in the Megillah. It doesn't tell us that because the Torah is not meant to, it's not a, a fairy tale. It's not a book that tells us sweet stories with a happy ending. The Torah tells us th- things 
that are relevant to our lives and are applicable to our future. So therefore, let's learn the message from this Midrash, that Hashem offered the Torah to um, the nations of the world, that the context of that should be appreciated. We should appreciate the Torah is a great gift, is a beautiful, precious gift from Hashem. And do we receive it that way, or do we see it as a burden? Do we see the Torah as, oh, okay, so I'm doing you favor, a favor, Hashem. Right? If a person has that perspective, I'm doing you a favor, you would say, you know, what do you want from me? Can If somebody asks you, would you do me a favor? You say, yo, what is the favor that you want me to do? So it, when you view Torah in that way, then it becomes a burden. And then it's completely out of context. We're missing the whole point. But when we understand that the Torah is a great gift, that it's a great privilege to to observe the Torah and to learn the Torah, and to receive the Torah from God. And it's not to do a favor for God, but it's entirely for our benefit. The more we connect ourselves to the Torah, and the more we, um, the more we, we observe the Torah, observe the commandments and the mitzvahs of the Torah, so the better it is for us. It's not that we're helping Hashem. Hashem is perfect. Hashem doesn't need our help. But by attaching ourselves to the Torah, by observing the Torah, by learning the Torah, so we are able then to um, have the connection to eternity. And we are able to transform ourselves from a single dimensional materialistic world where we are like animals following our instincts and our pursuits of power and pleasure. We elevate ourselves to connect to something beyond us to something eternal, to something which is spiritual, beyond time and space, to something which is the purpose of our being and of our existence. So when we view the Torah as a great gift, so then we will, you know, the gift of, of, of putting on tefillin and binding these concepts of the oneness of Hashem, of loving Hashem, of our responsibility in this world, of God being an omnipotent power who took us out of Egypt. When we, we bind that to our arm, and that displays our actions in the day will reflect those values. We, we put it on our head to the place of our neshama, the place of our thoughts, that our thoughts are framed within this context, that that's how we see the worlds between the eyes where the sight in the brain uh, is sitting. You know, where, where our eyes see, two eyes see, and it comes as one single image. The point in the brain is exactly where the tin shall rosh go. So our, the way we see the world, the way we think, the way we act, is framed by the incredible parshios, the concepts in the parshios, that God is one, that our obligation in this world is to serve God, and that there are consequences to our choices in the world. So when we see the opportunity of tefillin, we'll do it with, we'll put on tefillin every single day, which is not Shabbos and Yom Tov, with great enthusiasm, and with, uh, we'll, we'll be inspired to fulfill this wonderful mitzvah that Hashem gives us, to say the Shema every day, morning and night, is, is connecting ourselves to eternity and to the perfection of Hashem, to um, fulfill, to, to say brochas, to say a blessing, thank Hashem for the food we're eating, thank Hashem after eating the food, the blessing of Hashem Yatzah, to thank Hashem for going to the bathroom and for this incredible body, which is absolutely miraculous in its functioning and in all the organs and how they work in unison and how perfect each one is. To say Hashem Yatzah, thanking Hashem for the wonders of the human body. So when we live that way and we see that the Torah mitzvahs are a gift from Hashem and they are not doing Hashem a favor, so then we have no questions. And that is the 
That is how we should receive the Torah. And that's why we celebrate on Shavuos. Shavuos is a Yom Tov, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, so second day Yom Tov is Shabbos as well. Is a time when we rejoice over the gift we've received. Where we show, and it's very interesting, all the other Yom Tovim, that there's a discussion in the Gemara about Chetzi Lashem for Chetzi Lachem. In other words, every Yom Tov has an aspect that some of it is for our benefit, we celebrate the Yom Tov, some of it is for Hashem, it's spiritual, we learn and we dive in. So there's, there's a balance of those two elements in every Yom Tov. But there's some opinions that say some of the Yom Tov can be just the Bilachem. But everybody agrees that Shavuos has to be, uh, sorry, some of the Yom Tov can just be Lashem, but Shavuos has to be Lachem. There has to be a, a, a significant element of our own celebration on Shavuos because that shows what it means to us. That shows how much we appreciate this gift. That shows how much we celebrate over receiving this wonderful gift from Hashem, which is the, which is the Torah that Hashem gave us at Mount Sinai of over 3,300 years ago. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the wonderful Chag of Shavuos, the celebration of the of the Yom Tov of Shavuos. And uh, there's many beautiful customs that we observe on this Yom Tov of Shavuos. For example, one of them is we have milchik uh, products, actually. We which go out of our way to have milchik items. So we're still obligated to have a fleshik meal both in the night and in the day. But we fit in the milchiks. Usually it's at Kiddush time. Um, we have milchiks. And uh, the, why is that? Why do we go all the other Yom Tovim? The Gemara says Ein Simch Elabas Vayain. The true expression of the Yom Tov, the joy of the Yom Tov, is having meat and having wine. That shows uh, it gives a certain importance and dignity to the day. Um, but uh, on Shavuos we go out of a way to have milchiks as well. Why is that? So there are a few reasons for it. Um, one of the reasons is that. Um, when the Jewish people reached Mount Sinai, God gave them the Torah, which had all the halachas in it. And the laws of meat then were quite complicated, you know, the way to shecht and the way to, to melicha, to, in order to slaughter the animal, the way to, um, to remove the parts that we're not allowed to eat. And we have to then do melicha, salting the animal. So all of that took a while. That's quite a long, laborious process. And so they ate mochik items until they were able to, um, produce kosher meat. So that's one reason is because they, the, the, once the laws of the Torah were given, it took them a while to, to, um, to make kosher meat available. Another reason is because Moshe Rabbeinu, the individual who received the Torah at Mount Sinai on behalf of the Jewish people, the greatest human being that's ever lived, Moshe Rabbeinu. So he, we know, was born in Egypt and his parents were uh, Amram and Yochevet, and they faced the great danger of their son being taken and killed because Pharaoh, his necromancers, saw that the savior of the Jewish people was being born, and they therefore murdered all the Jewish boys, genocide of every Jewish boy that's born. And um, d- despite the tremendous danger, Miriam convinced her parents that they should have another child, and Moshe is born, and he's put in the He's hidden away um, amongst the reeds of the Nile in the basket 
And Pharaoh's daughter comes and she finds him and she's moved by this baby and she wants to bring him home into the palace and she asks her father permission and he grants permission to, to the princess, to his daughter. And that's how the savior of the Jewish people lives and survives right under the nose of Paro. So we see how Hashem runs the world. And Paro wanted to kill the leader of the Jewish people and the, Jew, the leader of the Jewish people ends up growing up in Paro's own palace and being supported by Paro, which is quite unbelievable. So according yeah. to our holy tradition, the day where Batya found Moshe on the Nile was actually the day of Shavuos, was the day of the receiving of the Torah. And Moshe refused to to be nursed by a, a non-Jewish woman. He only would be nursed by a Jewish woman. And Miriam said to Batya, I have a uh, a wet nurse, if you would like, and um, that could feed the child, and that was Moshe's mother. And she would come in and feed the child, and that's how he had a relationship with his parents, and he knew that he was part of the Jewish people. So that took place on the Dan So therefore, we also have Mulchiks to remember that incident. And finally, the third reason why we have Mulchiks and Shavuos is it says, in Shir Hashirim, that the Torah is like sweet milk and honey under my tongue. That's how the Torah is described by um, by the by Hashem that it's like sweet milk, and therefore we have more sweet milky products in in fulfillment of in line with this verse in Shir Hashirim that that describes the Torah, the sweetness and the joy of of having this milk beautiful, this delicious milky item that describes the joy to the soul of learning Torah. So we have milkics. Um, some people think that, you know, having cheesecake on Shuas is a mitzvah's asay dorais, is a positive moment from the Torah, you know, chas for shulam to go through Shuas without having your, your cheesecake. But there are sources where this custom, this tradition comes from. The, one of the other customs also is that we decorate our homes and our synagogues with greenery on Shuas in order to remember the fact that Mount Sinai it says, the Pasuk says that it was covered in grasses and in flowers. And so we cover our places um, uh, with grasses and flowers to remember that that's how it was at Mount Sinai where the Jewish people received the Torah. Um, another custom on Shavuos is that we actually stay up the whole night. We stay up learning Torah the whole night and we dive in then um, in the morning at the daybreak. And uh, it's quite hard to fulfill this mitzvah here in the Southern Hemisphere because it's winter and the night is very long. Um, if you go to the Northern Hemisphere at this time of year, in Eretz Israel, in uh, Europe, in the United States, so they're in summer. And so they, by the time Yom Tov comes in, and then um, the you have you go home, you dive in, you go home, you have your Suda, you then only have you know three or four hours until sunrise. So it's not a long night. But here in South Africa, where it's winter, our night is very long. So it's quite challenging to fulfill this custom of staying up the whole night in South Africa. But it is a wonderful custom to fulfill. Um, the reason why we do it is we show how important and valuable the Torah is to us. And even though we're cold and even though we're tired, um, it's not it's something that we fight because the Torah is so important to us. And that's the case with all of us. If we've got something important to do, you know, if we've got a deadline, we've got a big test the next day, we've got a big assignment that we have to hand in the next day, We've got a important business meeting that we have to get to. So then we'll stay up the whole night. We'll do that for important things. 
So how much more so we should do that for the Torah and we uh, put in a great effort. We moisten nefesh. We have self-sacrifice in order to stay up the whole night in order to receive the Torah. Because according to our holy tradition, the Jewish people received the Torah in the morning. They received it in the morning of the 6th of Sivan. And so um, we stay up the whole night in order to be awake to receive the Torah the next morning. So even if it may not be the most productive use of one's time and you're tired and you can't really focus when you're so tired at night, but it's an indication of our commitment to the Torah, of our love for the Torah, of how important the Torah is to us. And therefore, if one's able to, uh, if one's health allows them to, it certainly is a wonderful thing to do and is encouraged to stay up the whole night and learn Torah the whole night. And you'll find in your Orthodox synagogues, their learning programs throughout the night, um, which encourage people to stay up in our shul, the Sunny Road Kehillah, we're actually having a bride at two in the morning. So all those that are up, we're going to have a fire and a bride. You know, it's Yom Tov, so we can transfer a flame on Yom Tov. So we'll do so, and hopefully that will give us a bit of a boost in the middle of the night to carry us through to the davening in the morning. Um, so the last custom of Shuas that I wanted to mention to you, which I think is uh, also a very beautiful custom, and something that's very powerful is we read Megillah's Rus. We read the book of Ruth on Shavuos. And there are a number of reasons that are brought for that. And uh, they are beautiful and significant and really teach us the the entire um, atmosphere and mindset of this Yom Tov of Shavuos. So we'll be back in a moment and we'll discuss the reasons why we read the book of Ruth on Shavuos. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're discussing the um, final custom of Shavuos, which is to read the book of Rus, the book of Ruth, Megillus Rus. And there are a number of reasons that are brought down. One of them is that Rus converted to Judaism, and like all of Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people up, on that, up until that point observed the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, the seven Noah had laws, and then at the receiving of the Torah, at Kabbalah Satorah, on Shavuos, so they received the rest of the commandments, the other 606 commandments, to take it to 613. And the gematria of the word Rus is 606. Resh is 200, Vav is 6, Taf is 400, so Rus is 606. So therefore we read the Megillah of 606 because that's when we accepted upon ourselves the other 606 mitzvahs as Rus did when she embraced the Torah and converted to Judaism. So that's one reason why we read Rus. Another reason is that the story of Rus takes place during the barley harvest and the wheat harvest it starts out with the barley, time of the barley harvest, which is a bit earlier, and then it ends with the wheat harvest. So that Shavuos is exactly this time, the times of the barley harvest and wheat harvest. So it is in sync with the time of the times of Megiddo's Rus and the story of Megiddo's Rus. Um, another reason is also Rus was the ancestor of David HaMelech. David HaMelech came from Rus and Boaz. And in fact, the Megiddo's Rus ends with the lineage of David HaMelech which started with Rus and Boaz. And so Shavuos is the birthday, the 6th of Sivan, and the Yotzat, exactly 70 years later, of David HaMelech. 
So David lived 70 years, born and died on the 6th or 7th, which is the day of Shavuos. And that, by the way, is a sign that somebody is a righteous person if they are born and die on the same day. Because it shows that they completed their years in this world. Um, and so we remember David Melech on Shavuos because it is his birthday on your side. And therefore we read the story, which is the lineage and ends with the lineage of David Melech. And finally, there's one more reason. And we'll end with this. And that is my favorite reason. And I think it's very beautiful and very powerful. So the last, the fourth reason why we read Megillus Rus on Shavuos is because Megillus Rus is the story of Rus and Naomi who, um, they were out of Eretz Israel. They returned back to Eretz Israel. Naomi's husband has died. Rus's husband has died. They're two people that are widowers. They're destitute. They are struggling to make ends meet. And it seems like they're pretty irrelevant to society. They're not these high-powered, distinguished individuals. But the story shows that their behavior and their choices and the way they conducted themselves was very, very important to Hashem. And the dignity and morality with which they lived ended up being a story for all time, for eternity, and a great example of how to live one's life that even today, more than 2,000 years later, we're reading about Rus and Naomi, and we're learning from their example. And that is the story of the Torah, because the Torah is telling us that in God's eyes, the choices that everybody makes, people who feel that perhaps they have been discarded by society, people who feel that perhaps they're irrelevant because they're not these superstars in the headlines, and they don't have Instagram pages with millions of viewers. So they think that they're irrelevant and not important. The Torah comes to tell us the opposite. The Torah tells us that God looks at everybody, big and small, and that every single human being's choices are being scrutinized by God and are being, are being looked at. And Hashem cares deeply for everyone, big and small. And nobody is irrelevant to Hashem. And nobody is insignificant in God's eyes. And the choices that each and every one of us makes in our lives is of paramount importance and could have tremendous significance to all of humanity for centuries to come. So that is such an empowering idea and that really runs at the heart of the Torah. That is the the Torah's teaching about the importance and about the significance and about the relevance of every single human being. The fact that you're alive, the fact that God's given you life in this world means that you are special and you are unique and you have a role to play and nobody can fulfill your role. Nobody can can um, do what you were sent to this world to do. You are special, you are unique and that's why you're alive. And that's that's such a powerful, beautiful message that the Torah teaches us and something that is clear in the story of Rus and Megillus and that's why we read Megillus Rus and Shavuos in order to emphasize and in order to um, bring out this vital message. Thank you so much for listening. Wishing everybody a Chag Shavuos Sameach. Um, have a wonderful Yontif and have a wonderful day.